Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Vertical Space, a podcast at the intersection of technology and flight. We are your hosts, Jim Barry and Luka Tomjanovic, and here we look at the most important forces shaping the market of advanced air mobility, with a particular focus on why and how they matter to those building a business in this very exciting and growing industry. Not only did we look back over the first century of aviation, as I talked about earlier, but we also looked ahead to say, okay, what could the second century of aerospace look like? And we talked about some of these mega markets and some of these new trends and technologies. And really, for the for the first time in aerospace history, you see a convergence of these new massive markets and a whole set of new technologies all at once. You know, in, in the past, we might see one or perhaps two new markets emerge in a decade. You know, we might see one, maybe two new technologies of significance emerge. But right now, we have four or five new mega markets emerging, and we have at least half a dozen significant technologies that are emerging and maturing. And as those come together, it's going to create innovation opportunities that are beyond what we can imagine right now. And so that's why I'm so bullish about aviation and why I think, you know, the next decade or two will be the most prolific innovation decades in the history of aerospace. Hello, and welcome back to The Vertical Space. Today, we have the great pleasure of having Dennis Mullenberg on the show. Dennis needs no introduction, but let's highlight a few of his accomplishments. Before his current role as CEO and Chairman of the Board of Nuvista Acquisition Corporation, a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC, Dennis was CEO and Chairman of the Board of Directors at the Boeing Company, where he started as an engineering intern in 1985. In his close to 40 years of experience in aerospace and defense, Dennis has seen it all. From engineering and program management of advanced civil and future combat systems, including the F-22, airborne laser, the Condor reconnaissance aircraft, and high-speed civil transport, to leading the development and implementation of operational and growth initiatives across the Boeing enterprise. Relevant to our discussion today, Dennis led the formation of Boeing Horizon X, an innovation arm focused on startup investments in high-growth areas of autonomy, propulsion, cybersecurity, space systems, computing, advanced air mobility, advanced materials, and a few others. Given his deep aerospace roots, his visionary mindset, and the fact that he ran a company that has a dramatic impact on humanity, we asked Dennis to talk about the aviation industry, including advanced air mobility, from a strategic perspective, and to give the entrepreneurs in our audience a taste of what it's like to run a global aerospace company. Listen to what Dennis considers the key geostrategic forces acting on aviation, how new technologies could change the distribution of profits along the aviation value chain, the role of autonomy, and how the convergence of mega markets and mega technology trends set the stage for the most innovative decade in the history of aviation. We also discussed the potential for near-term use cases in advanced air mobility, such as drone delivery, to revolutionize logistics and e-commerce. Lastly, Dennis shares invaluable advice to entrepreneurs on how to navigate the aerospace industry and build a culture of courage and humility. Enjoy the conversation with Dennis after a brief sponsored message. This episode of the Vertical Space Podcast is brought to you by UAvionics. UAvionics is the leader in low-size, weight, and power certified avionics for manned, unmanned, and advanced air mobility aircraft. Let UAvionics help you achieve your goals, whether that be type certification, airspace access, or beyond visual line of sight operations. UAvionics has certified and certifiable communications, navigation, and surveillance avionics for your aircraft. So head over to uavionics.com or Google it to see how you can start flying safer and move your platform forward into shared airspace. 
Dennis, it's a real pleasure to have you on the vertical space. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, Luca, it's great to be with you and uh, thanks for the invitation. The first question we usually start our conversation with is, is there anything that very few in the industry agree with you on? Well, that, that's an interesting question. I, I would say, uh, you know, right now the, the industry is in a, a challenging position. I think we all recognize some of the difficulties around the world in terms of uh, supply chains and uh, some of the recovery on the backside of COVID. But I, I guess uh, perhaps I have a, a bit of a different, more optimistic view of, uh, of the aerospace and aviation industry. I think we're at uh, one of the greatest points of innovation ever in the history of aviation. And I think the next decade will be the greatest decade of, of aerospace innovation ever. And you think that not a lot of people agree with you on this? Well, I think today uh, uh, there's there's still a lot of focus on recovering from some of the tough economic challenges around us. And I'm still seeing a great deal of innovation spending, but I don't think the entire industry yet has fully uh, uh, stepped forward in terms of innovation energy, right? I, I think you're going to see a return to that over the next couple of years as as the economy recovers and as uh, supply chains recover. Uh, but that momentum, that that innovation momentum, I think is still ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Also, Dennis, I mean, just recently it came out that some of the big OEMs are being cautious in their investments. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that that dovetails with what I said about the economic situation. And we have to recognize, you know, the aerospace industry has been very, through a very tough couple of years. And so we should not minimize that. It's had an impact on supply chains and people and talent and uh, the ability to invest in the future. So, you know, some cautiousness, I think, is appropriate and, and understandable. Uh, still, if you, if you can see beyond that, and that's really what I'm talking about, is if you look at the convergence of new mega markets that are occurring mm-hmm. in things like advanced air mobility, uh, the opening up of the space economy, uh, new high-speed travel options, uh, those kind of mega markets are, are opening up and they will they will become even bigger over the next decade. And we're also seeing a convergence of new technologies, you know, spanning from new propulsion technologies, uh, green energy, automation, autonomous systems, AI, new manufacturing technologies, uh, all converging at once as well. So if you can see beyond the current challenges and think about an innovation frontier, I I think uh, you're going to see this convergence of new mega markets and technologies in a way that we've never seen it in the first century of aviation. What are some of the geopolitical forces on the transportation market, on aviation in particular, that perhaps most are not too aware of and something that you would recommend innovators and entrepreneurs in advanced air mobility to be mindful of? Well, I think some of the geopolitical factors uh, come around uh, economic challenges around the world and you know, where we see economic rivalry uh, in the future. Uh, I think it's going to cause companies to think broadly about global supply chains uh, location of work, uh, their partners around the world, uh, how we uh, you know build out sustainable uh, partnerships. I think uh, companies will be thinking more about intellectual property and and how that's distributed. Uh, there's also here in the in the U.S. a significant push to uh, reshore manufacturing in some cases. So I think you know building out localized manufacturing capability in the aerospace industry is going to be another important trend. And I think with the the amount of technology convergence, new technologies that are coming to fruition, as I mentioned earlier, it, it will just cause companies to think very carefully about where they're going to place their bets and, and which of those technologies can uh, create a sustainable growth path. 
Dennis, I'm going to piggyback on something you mentioned on autonomy, and I love the different technologies you said that will be coming together in the coming decade. Talk a little bit about autonomy, if you could. What's what do you think is going to come about in the next five to ten years, and 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 what role will autonomy have an impact on advanced air mobility, or must have an impact on advanced air mobility? Yeah, I think ultimately it's going to have a tremendous impact, and I think I think we all see that and recognize it. I think the question is one of timing. It's not an if, it's it's a when question. And uh, autonomous technology is obviously advancing very quickly. Uh, we see it being used effectively in a number of uh, smaller drone solutions for you know, cargo delivery and small package delivery that's quickly proliferating. Uh, we see work that's happening in the EV toll arena. And, and while uh, you know solutions have not been fully certified yet, we see strong efforts on autonomous solutions in, in the EV toll space. Of course, uh, our defense and military customers have been using autonomous vehicles for uh, quite some time. You know, one that I'm very familiar with, the, the new MQ-25, providing uh, tanking capability, autonomous tanking capability for the U.S. Navy, I think is an extraordinary leap forward to show an example of what can be done. So th there are signposts of clear advancement in autonomous technology and certifiable solutions. Uh, that said, I think uh, we still have a long ways to go to to get them fully proliferated and, and certified, especially when you start talking about things like passenger travel in crowded or congested urban areas. Now, I, I would argue one of the biggest values of autonomous solutions will be in these more densely traveled areas because of the advantage they can provide in efficiency and, and, and green energy, but it will be more challenging to create certified solutions in those environments. We've discussed this on, on this podcast numerous times in the past where autonomy makes most sense. And the examples that you bring up are really, really good ones. What do you think when, when it comes to a, you know, a commercial airliner with no pilot on board, completely autonomous, what is the driving value proposition here? Is it about safety? Is it about the freedom to optimize the network topology and not be constrained by you know, crew rest and some of the constraints from that side of the operation? What do you think is the main value proposition? Well, I think it's actually all of the above. And I, I also don't think it'll be a one-size-fits-all solution. You know, there, there will always be you know, systems and routes and aircraft that uh, will be handled by pilots, and, and it will just make most sense to do it that way from an operational standpoint. There will be other more time-compressed operations, around-the-clock operations, perhaps uh, over water, long, challenging missions where, you know, crew rest becomes a, a challenge. Th th those kind of ap applications will be more uh, readily uh, amenable to autonomous solutions. I think uh, you know cargo delivery will probably happen ahead of uh, passengers, as, mm -hmm. as we've all talked about in the past. So I, I think you're going to see a future that'll have a mixture of piloted solutions, in some cases, perhaps single pilots that are augmented with uh, autonomous systems, and then others that will be uh, fully autonomous. Certification, again, will be one of the challenges around that, as, as we're all well aware. Uh, but I also think passenger acceptance is going to be a big question, right? It, it's interesting when you go out and ask people, would, would they be willing to fly on an airplane without a pilot? Depending on who you talk to, you could get a very different answer on that. So acceptance by the public will, will also be another adoption uh, factor. So all, all of that leads me to believe that it'll be a, a multivariant sort of solution for the future. I think autonomous technologies will be certified and where they make sense from a business standpoint and a customer adoption standpoint, they will be implemented first.
When you look at the landscape of new entrants and new technologies, whether this is autonomy related or otherwise, does something stand out as misconceptions or misunderstanding the problem of aviation and trying to fit technology within it? Well, I, I don't know that uh, I see significant misunderstandings or, or misperceptions. I, I think sometimes, you know, people are overly optimistic in terms of how easy it is to, to certify things. And I think you know, one of the things that's great about our aviation industry is, it, is safety. And uh, we all know the preeminent place that safety plays uh, in this industry and how important it is uh, to the future. So the idea that we always want to put the preeminent you know, emphasis on, on safety, that, that is an absolute requirement. And, and we have to be steadfast in that. And that means you know, certification in some cases may take longer because we have to assure that the safety and quality of the systems that are out there. I, I think that's an important factor. But uh, you know, beyond autonomy, as you alluded to, I also think uh, you know we're going to see a very exciting future in terms of adoption of, of new you know aviation technologies and transportation uh, techniques more broadly and and I think it'll surprise people to see how quickly those come online. Uh, I briefly mentioned you know drone delivery and and how that's going to further revolutionize e-commerce and and logistics and you know last mile delivery in particular I think is going to be an extraordinary transformation that we're just starting to see. I think this idea of uh, flying taxis, EV tolls in dense urban areas and what can th- that can do to relieve congestion and uh, create environmental improvements will be extraordinary. I think the introduction of high-speed travel right, is, is something that we're just starting to see. Interest in supersonic travel, companies that are working on hypersonics, Mach 5 and Mach 9 vehicles. Imagine being able to fly anywhere in the world in one hour and come back. You know, be home for dinner. I think that's a great, a great value proposition. I think that's going to happen faster than many people think. And then even the frontier of space travel. And, uh, you know, again, we're just starting to see the interest there and uh, the idea of space-based manufacturing, uh, a vibrant ecosystem in space and a space transportation system to go with it. And I think a decade from now, you're going to see it's very commonplace for people to be traveling to space. So, um, you know, getting back to your question, I think uh, I think that's one of the things that will surprise people is the, these multiple dimensions of, of new travel systems, new modes of travel, and how quickly they're going to come online, you know, paced by uh, certification, as I mentioned. We've had several guests on who are advocates for advanced mobility and some that are more skeptical. And you're you're being very bullish here on, on many different fronts, which is which is terrific. What would the skeptic say? Let's say more specifically about VTOL, where they would say you should, you know, put the brakes on the excitement around VTOL for a couple of different reasons. What would be some of the reasons that people may be skeptical? Well, I think some people are skeptical about the underpinning technology. You know, will will uh, battery technology be sufficient? Right? Is there a is there a horizon in battery tech that will somehow limit the performance of these vehicles? That you know, perhaps they'll never have enough range or or endurance. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there's going to be plenty of uh, uh, uses for uh, for battery technology, electric airplanes that will be highly useful in a number of regional and uh, and localized sort of applications. Uh, I think uh, new uh, new technologies, green technologies around hydrogen powered vehicles, will further extend the ability in the in this EV toll uh, kind of space. But I, I think some believe that there will be some kind of propulsion system limitations. I think others, you know, question certification, the idea of having co-mingled 
flight uh, operations. And, and certainly that's a challenge. You're, you're going to have during the transition time, a, a period where we'll have skies that could be full of both piloted and unpiloted vehicles, uh, a much more densely packed space, all of the air traffic management rules and regulations around that. And how do we do that again with, with the utmost safety in mind, you know, could be a limiting factor. And I think some people are skeptical about that. And, uh, and some of the underpinning certification. And I, I think those are all you know, good things to be paying attention to, but I, I'm very bullish that those are things that can be overcome. And you know, our, our aerospace industry for a century has done transformative things. Mm-hmm. I, I had the privilege of being the Boeing CEO during our centennial in 2016. And we looked back over the first century and uh, uh, we said, uh, wow, you know, humans went from walking on earth to walking on the moon. We went from riding on horses to flying in airplanes. You know, those, those are big shifts. And, uh, you know, the, the shifts that are ahead of us are, are probably equally as big. But our aerospace industry has shown the ability to do that and do it safely. So I'm, I'm bullish that we will overcome the challenges and, and these new modes of transportation will come to life. Thinking about the, the historical lessons from the legacy aviation industry and looking at the advanced air mobility airframers today and observing just how vertically integrated they are. Do you see a parallel with where they are today in the early days of the aviation industry? And does history inform for us uh, what the likely path is going to be for the AAM value chain in your mind? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I've been thinking about that industrial fabric a lot. And I do think there are some analogies there. And it's, it's not unusual as you introduce a new form of transportation uh, that the OEMs will be highly vertically integrated, right? It'll be you know, technical solutions that are very focused on performing a particular mission. Uh, they'll need to control that technology top to bottom in order to optimize performance and introduce capability. And so I think you're going to see this first wave of implementation where you have a lot of vertical integration and, and heavy OEM dominance in that area. But I think as the technology matures, as solutions proliferate, as we turn our attention from sort of introduction of capabilities to operation of capabilities and then in-field support and sustaining that support in a very cost-effective way and in a safe way, you're going to see the supply chains and structures modified. Uh, You're going to see more horizontal opportunities that span across OEMs to gain cost efficiencies. I think areas like the, the propulsion technology, for example, and, and battery technology in particular, uh, you're going to see horizontal players uh, show up that uh, are going to create a lot of value by working across OEMs. And, and I would anticipate that transition will happen over time as, as the industry matures, as the supply chains mature, and as we look more heavily at logistics and infield support. Dennis, what do you think of the business model being pursued by many of the AAM players of being both the OEM of the vehicle as well as the operator? Yeah, again, that could work in some sectors. I I think it's going to be really interesting to see how those business models shake out. Frankly, I think it's good to have a diversity of business models at this time because we don't really know what's going to be most advantageous to customers and uh, what will ultimately produce the best uh, business results and, and the safest results. And I think it's uh, you know, something we're going to learn as an industry over time. You'll see some OEMs who will you know, concentrate on vehicles and, and producing vehicles and then selling them to others to operate. So you'll see this specialization of design and manufacturing and operation, sort of like what you see in today's uh, mature aviation industry. In other cases, you're going to see people who can 
gain advantage and, and create better value for customers by being both the manufacturer and the operator. Uh, that takes a special type of operation and uh, is not something that everybody's going to be able to pull off. But there, there could be some applications, you know, things like uh, dense urban environment uh, operations where, where that might make sense. So um, I, I welcome the fact that there are a number of business models out there. I think that creativity will help the industry, you know, ultimately arrive at, at what's the best solution. What metrics and what signals should we be looking at to gauge how successful this OEM operator model is? Well, I think paramount again will be will be safety and, and reliability because uh, you know what what really allows capability to expand is when passengers and you know systems and operators and you know those that are on the ground can all be confident that a system is, is very safe and that it's operationally reliable, that uh, they can travel when they want to travel, that arrivals and departures occur as planned, uh, that things are safe and comfortable during the flight. And uh, just the end-to-end efficiency of the system is there to support customers. I think that those are the, the most important metrics. Uh, closely behind that will be you know, cost of operations, uh, cost efficiency, uh, what creates sustainable uh, growth opportunities so you can reinvest in, in product lines. Uh, but I, I think first and foremost will be, will be safety, uh, quality, and, and operational efficiency, reliability. Dennis, we've seen the big operators announce investments in the advanced air mobility VTOL companies. Do you think there's any chance that the big commercial carriers are going to operate these vehicles, or do you think it's more likely to be regionals or some other player that we don't know of today? I, I think the answer here is one that you're going to see a number of different solutions uh, depending on the on the operation. You know, some of these large carriers will be able to dovetail uh, very efficiently in their network uh, these EV toll operations, and you know, somewhat mimic operations today where the big carriers might be flying you know large uh, twin aisles and single aisles, but also effectively operate regional connectors and do that all as part of their integrated network. Uh, there are others who you know operate between hubs and then hand passengers off to other regional operators. You know a, a different type of business model, and I, I think you're going to see the same thing evolve here. And the EV tolls will simply add another dimension and another degree of flexibility to these operations. And, and some operators will find ways to you know operate them efficiently across various tiers of, of aircraft. Others will create partnerships where you have might have multiple operators you know working together to provide an end to end customer service. Again, I think this is a, a very fruitful area for what I'll call business innovation in terms of how you uh, operate these EV tools. What are the most interesting insights in terms of how profits are distributed along the legacy aviation value chain and how this might change in advanced air mobility? Yeah, you know, if you look at today's distribution of earnings and, and profitability across the supply chain, again, there's a lot of variability. And you know, there's some sectors where the OEMs are, are doing very well. There are other sectors where the supply chain does exceptionally well, especially when it applies to their the, their manufacturing systems. And there are still other areas where logistics is, is the highest profit margin business. So it's highly dependent on, on where you sit in the aviation sector and what business line you're in. But there are clearly you know, pockets of profitability and I anticipate that those will, again, come to the surface as EV toll operations uh, mature. I anticipate there's going to be new service models that haven't even been created yet that uh, could likely be the highest profit segments for these EV toll operations. 
I think once you get to this idea of you know, real point of use operations, almost personal uh, flying operations that these eVTOLs can enable, uh, you're going to create these end-to-end -end service opportunities that just don't exist today that uh, could be very attractive to customers and as a result, create very attractive uh, profit margins. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that evolves. And in what ways do you think that modern technology could change the aviation duopoly that exists today? Well, you know, the, the aviation duopoly, I, the, I assume you're referring to as the large commercial aircraft duopoly between uh, Boeing and Airbus today. And, you know, that that is a long-term sustained business. And no matter how you slice it, you, you look at the long-term passenger trends and passenger growth around the world. I think, you know, some of the latest stats that I saw says there's still about 80% of the world's population that has yet to take their first flight. That, that's hard to believe, but when that's you look unbelievable. at it, it's incredible. So when you think about how, how big and, and fast growing commercial aviation is today in the large aircraft business, there's still 80% of the world's population to go, right? So th there's tremendous long-term growth in that business. And, uh, you know, Boeing and Airbus build great products and they're not going to slow down. So I, I expect that to be a strong business for the future. What, what I'm excited about is you're also going to see these complementary technologies coming online uh, that will show up in, in the EV toll space and, you know, small aircraft, uh, business jet space. And you're going to see it grow and proliferate into the regional aircraft base. But I think that's largely going to be uh, complementary to what's happening in the large aircraft duopoly today. And uh, I think you see both Boeing and Airbus, you know, as a result, investing in some of these connected areas as well. Certainly my, uh, my friends over at Boeing with the work they're doing on WISC, uh, for example, in that joint venture is a great example of how the big aerospace companies are also investing in these new leading edge technologies. And, you know, that was one thing when I was at Boeing, uh, we spent a lot of time thinking about is how do we not only create, you know, high value sustained uh, core business uh, that we enjoy today and, and continue to serve those customers in the future, but also place our bets on new investments and in some of these new technology areas around EV tolls and high-speed travel and, and space travel and, and make sure you're investing in the right way in those complementary areas. But I, I don't see this as a sort of a competition between existing and future. I, I see uh, I see these as complementary modes of transportation. Mm -hmm. Uh, recently, we were talking to Richard Abalathia, uh, Dennis, and I was singing the praises of the opportunity for VTOL. I was saying I'm on the coast of Connecticut. And it would be great to be able to take a VTOL from, you know, New Haven area down to JFK to be able to go anywhere in the world. And he said, Jim, better to go get a lobster roll than to think that you could do that affordably. He said it'll be a very small portion of the population that will be able to afford VTOL as we see it today. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I fundamentally disagree. Now, he, he could be right in terms of early introduction. And you know, this is common with any form of, of new transportation that's introduced. Uh, usually the price point is, is quite high at the beginning because you don't have a, a large volume of, of business space to, to spread those initial costs and you have to recover some of the early development. But I think as you see fleets uh, expand, as you see the, the number of operations expand and mature and uh, you know, begin to work out supply chains and logistics and efficient support, you'll see the price point come down. And I believe EV tolls are going to be a fantastic source of transportation for everyone. And I think it's going to be very affordable. But part of that's going to be driven by the fact that you just look at operating costs and, and the opportunity that we have with some of the new green solutions 
you know, electrically powered aircraft has some very attractive operational performance opportunities, cost opportunities, if you look at the data. And I think as that matures, uh, you'll see that, you know, become real and that will roll into to ticket prices and accessibility for customers. And uh, I think you're also going to see, uh, you know, new kinds of solutions come out. Another, you know, the great one that I'm paying a lot of attention to is the folks over at uh, Regent, as an example, that are working on a on a hydrofoil, a, a, a seaplane, mm-hmm. a, a sea skimmer, if you will, uh, for regional uh, overwater solutions. And, uh, you know, an incredible uh, price point performance that goes along with that. And so I think you're going to see, you know, introduction on routes that are going to be, you know, very cost competitive and uh, that'll help build up volume. And then as volume builds, you'll see that, you know, ripple into the broader operations and make this affordable for everyone. For the VTOL to be economically viable, are are they going to have to be fully autonomous? I, I don't think it has to occur for it to be viable, but it certainly can create significant economic advantages, as you pointed out. But I'll go back to what I said earlier. The first most important thing is it has to be safe. Yeah. Right. And and customers have to be confident in that. Operators have to be confident. And so I, I think EV tolls can be viable as, as piloted vehicles. Certainly, it'll be more challenging to make the economics close. But based on the data that I've seen, I, I think uh, that's a viable business model. And as we gain confidence in autonomy, and in particular, gain confidence in the safety of those operations, I think it only makes the system you know, even more economically attractive. And, uh, you know, that'll that'll further spur growth. So I would put it on the on the list of things that would be highly beneficial. But I, I don't necessarily think it, it's the difference between being viable or not viable. Dennis, when we think about what it takes to develop an aviation product today, an aircraft today, a commercial passenger carrying aircraft, there's a lot of crystal balling going on. One must commit to a product development today and an entry into service in you know 10 or so years with the expectation that it will be in the market for several decades to come. So there's a lot of assumptions in terms of markets that one has to make. What modern technologies can change this paradigm? And mm-hmm. what happens if all of a sudden we can shrink that dramatically? Yeah, well, that, that's just a fantastic question. Now, as you point out, I think you know aviation will always tend to be a bit of a longer cycle business just because of the sheer complexity of the machines and certification that goes with it. But I think we're seeing uh, several technologies that are allowing us to shorten development times. I, I think some of the new uh, digital engineering and manufacturing solutions, determinant assembly, and other techniques that are now becoming reality will allow us to further shorten those design cycles. And uh, you know, digital end-to-end design all the way deep into the supply chain so that it can ripple back up through the manufacturing and you know, first fit tolerances is great for manufacturing speed. It's great for uh, certification. It's also fantastic you know, for infield support. But all of that will lead to, to shortening uh, development cycles. So I, th- mm-hmm. I think there's some process enhancements there that will play out in an advantageous way. I think also, you know, the vehicles of tomorrow are going to be designed with a different architecture in mind so that technologies can be upgraded much more readily over time. Those could be propulsion system technologies, new control technologies, autonomy, as we said, uh, software solutions, digital wraparound solutions. So tomorrow's vehicles are going to be much more upgradable. And as such, you have more ability to sustain a presence in market. It's not as if you're investing in something that uh, you know is going to take 10 years to get to market 
and then has to hold its own for 20 years. I, I would look at it as much more of a you know, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 version of vehicles and that you're able to upgrade vehicles on an annual basis in a meaningful way. And I think new architectures and new digital solutions will allow that to happen. And that will keep, you know, technologies relevant and uh, much more current while these systems are proliferated. For the entrepreneurs in our audience, what are the most challenging aspects of running an aerospace company? <laughs> well, that, that's a great question. You know, I, I think one of the challenges is uh, aerospace, uh, by its very nature, is, is a bit of a big bet industry, right? It's, it's uh, probably one of the most complex industries in the world in terms of the technology, but it also, as a result, creates some of the most amazing transformative impacts on the world. So, you know, that kind of big bet industry is not for the faint-hearted, right? It, it takes a certain sense of boldness and, and confidence and courage and uh, you know, entrepreneurs in this space have to be able to demonstrate that that uh, that courage. Uh, I think at the same time, it also demands a sense of uh, humility and uh, understanding the importance of the work that's done, uh, that lives depend on what we do. So that combination of both courage and humility, uh, I think, is important for entrepreneurs in this space. And then perhaps most importantly, and you know, I spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs in the aerospace world now, uh, as I am uh, launched a new company called uh, New Vista uh, after I retired from Boeing. And you know, I'm talking to, to actually uh, hundreds of companies in, in this aerospace innovation sector. And, and the most important thing that I talk to entrepreneurs about is investing in people and the values and the culture of their business. And, uh, you know, that's all part of the, the wonder and challenge of aviation. Uh, the people are what makes it work. And so investing in talent is, is both, you know, the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity, I think, for entrepreneurs. And then investing in the culture of their company, the, the values that underpin it. I mentioned earlier the importance of safety, quality, integrity, excellence in the work we do. In, in a business like aerospace, where you know, lives literally depend on the work you do every day, uh, those values are demanded. You, you just have to have them. So you know, a challenge and opportunity for entrepreneurs in this space is to really spend the time on, on talent and culture and build a sustainable value system, a sustainable values foundation for their business. Dennis, as you speak to the hundreds of entrepreneurs, you're saying different companies in, let's say, advanced air mobility, perhaps, you're probably talking to a lot of people who don't come from aviation or aerospace. You know, they could be Silicon Valley technology entrepreneurs, but perhaps not aerospace or aviation. What kind of blind spots do you see in these companies you're speaking to that you feel with your experience and business experience, they need to be paying more attention to? Yeah, I think one, one of the key things I've seen on, on some of the uh, you know entrants that have come out of Silicon Valley and, and, and this is not to be a naysayer on Silicon Valley, but I think part of the business approach in Silicon Valley is, is you know, rightfully get, get something to market quickly, uh, you know, be able to upgrade it, move quickly, be agile, you know, create value, but uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? You, you can come out and create something that then can be improved on three months later and, and continue to iterate in the field. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of that sort of uh, MVP approach and, you know, getting an, an initial capability out in the field. So I appreciate that agility dimension. And, and there's a certain amount of agility injection that the uh, aerospace community can use. But at the same time, you can't forget about the fact that people's lives now depend on what you're doing. And it takes time to certify systems. And you can't introduce a system that, you know, meets 80 percent 
of a safety target, right? You have to meet a hundred percent of it. And so there has to be some balance between this idea of speed and agility and the idea that you have to produce a safe system that works every time. And that uh, you really have to emphasize that to ensure the longevity of your business. So, you know, that, that's the kind of balance that's required. And that's why, you know, a lot of the successful teams I see are bringing together a combination of talent, you know, mm-hmm. people who really understand the aerospace business, what it takes to certify something, what it takes for safe operations, you know, combined with some of the, the Silicon Valley uh, innovation mindset and agility. And uh, I think the best teams, the, the winners that I'm seeing out there are ones that bring together this combination of talents and then understand how to apply it in the aerospace world. Dennis, what should entrepreneurs be mindful of when they think about partnering with large incumbents? Well, I think they uh, they need to realize that there are partnership models that can be very effective. You know, I, I love my uh, friends at Boeing and, and the tr- extraordinary work they do. And, uh, you know, there's, there are no other companies in the world that have the kind of horsepower and incredible technical depth and know-how and, and talent base uh, that those companies have. So being able to tap into that aerospace prowess and understanding and knowledge is an extraordinary benefit for some of these entrepreneurial companies. But do that in a way where they can still maintain you know, their agility and speed in the market. It goes back to the balance point that I made that you know, the, the, the winners in this marketplace are ones that can be both uh, fast and big, right? You, you can operate with agility and speed and still have the horsepower and the heft that it takes to be successful in the aerospace business. And a lot of people will try to claim that, well, you can either be big and, uh, and slow or you can be small and fast. And, and the winners that I'm seeing are the ones that can play big and be fast. And, and that's where those partnerships can come together. To what extent do you think this is within the control of a startup versus just the corporate culture of the incumbent? This ability well, I, I, to move fast. Yeah, I think it's a combination because, you know, all, all of the incumbents in the aerospace industry today, you know, understand the need to move faster and to be more agile. I would argue you, you go and talk to any CEO in the established aerospace industry, they will know that uh, they need to be you know faster, that they need better speed to market. They need to be more agile. They need better digital processes. And, and everybody is working on that front. And, and that's valuable work. Um, so, I, I don't think there's anybody that would say they, they don't need to do that. And on the other side, these, these entrepreneurs, I think, you know, are gaining more and more of, a, of an appreciation for the degree of difficulty in certifying new systems. And you're know, going from idea stage to prototype to actual certified flight with passengers. That's a big step. And a lot of companies, I think, you know, now that they've been in business for a few years are coming to that realization as they're you know trying to approach their certification milestones. So I think, you know, both sides of the equation are beginning to realize the value of the potential partners here. And as that realization occurs, I think you'll see these partnerships blossom. Dennis, you fast forward to the next five, 10 years. What does the industry look like? And, and more specifically, where are the rivers of cash that an entrepreneur should target in the near term at advanced term mobility that perhaps people aren't looking at today? Yeah, well, I, I don't know that they're not necessarily looking at them today, but I, I think it's about realizing some of these new opportunities and some of these uh, opportunities to create profitable growth for the, for the future. And, uh, you know, when I think about the aerospace industry and where it's going to be in a decade, I think it goes back to some of the new mega markets that I, that I mentioned, that those you know mega markets are going to go from ideas and initial prototypes and demonstrations to real worldwide operations and uh, large 
scale fleets and global sustained operations. And uh, I think that's going to play across multiples of these these mega markets. I, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of drone delivery and e-commerce and, and how that's going to proliferate over the next decade. I think it's just going to be extraordinary. We're just starting to tap tap the surface of that. Um, EV tolls, as we've talked extensively about, I think are going to change travel patterns. You're going to create you know, home-to-home kind of pattern uh, opportunities. You're going to create uh, much more use of uh, regional airports. You know, m- Many of the airports around the United States today, for example, uh, we have a lot of open runways that are essentially unused that I think are going to fill up with all kinds of new regional and local solutions because of these EV toll uh, capabilities. I think uh, sustained high-speed travel is going to become a reality that it's going going to be at a price point that's affordable and that you're going to be see people, uh, you know, do day trips to the other side of the world and back. Uh, that that will totally change business models and business cycles and, and how people work together. And then I guess, you know, one of my personal favorites is I still think space travel is going to become, uh, you know, more routine. And a decade from now, I think you're going to see thousands of people that are actually working in space. Uh, they could be space uh, destinations, could be space-based manufacturing, a number of other uh, destinations that are being worked on, you're going to see uh, uh, space travel become much more routine. And uh, I think that's the exciting thing about what we're going to see over the next decade. And as those mega markets uh, proliferate and become real, you're going to see some of those value streams emerge. And I'm confident that you know all of those markets I just talked about will have some high value streams within them. Were you as optimistic on this industry when you were the CEO of Boeing? I was. And in fact, uh, you know, that's that's the way uh, that we were investing. And, you know, I said I, I had the privilege of being the Boeing CEO during our centennial in 2016. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not only did we look back over the first century of aviation, as I talked about earlier, but we also looked ahead to say, OK, what could the second century of aerospace look like? And we talked about some of these mega markets and some of these new trends and technologies. And really, for the for the first time in aerospace history, you see a convergence of these new massive markets and a whole set of new technologies all at once. You know, in in the past, we might see one or perhaps two new markets emerge in a decade. You know, we might see one, maybe two new technologies of significance emerge. But right now, we have four or five new mega markets emerging, and we have at least half a dozen significant technologies that are emerging and maturing. And as those come together, it's going to create innovation opportunities that are beyond what we can imagine right now. And so that's why I'm so bullish about aviation and why I think, you know, the next decade or two will be the most prolific innovation decades in the history of aerospace. We talked about this a little bit, but what other advice would you give to someone who wants to start a business in advanced air mobility? Hmm. Well, I, I would encourage them to, to be bold again, to, to take advantage of the fact that uh, these new markets and technologies are converging. So it's, it's a great time to get into the market. I would encourage people to invest in aerospace. I think it's still one of the greatest uh, investment growth areas in the world. Uh, so I would encourage entrepreneurs to give aerospace a hard look and then to go in and into it with a recognition that it's it's a hard business. It's, uh, as I said, one that takes humility, one that uh, uh, requires you to overcome significant degrees of difficulty. But because it's so hard, uh, because there are so many you know high hurdles to cross, it, it's one that you can create sustainable advantage for the future, right? The the barriers to entry are significant. So entrepreneurs that have a stomach for it, that have both courage and humility 
can really do tremendous things in the aerospace industry exactly because it's so challenging. And uh, as a result, it's very rewarding. You know, it, it's an industry that changes the world, that creates incredible you know, economic benefit for people, that makes people's lives better. So we used to say at Boeing, it, it connects, protects, explores, and inspires the world. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great mission to have. So if you're looking for a, a purposeful business pursuit, aviation is a great place to go as an entrepreneur. Dennis, as you prepared for our podcast, what's the one message you would want to send to our audience, this world of entrepreneurs in advanced air mobility and at the intersection of tech and flight? Well, the one message I would give to these entrepreneurs is to, is to be bold, to, to take, uh, take a swing in the, in the aerospace industries. As I said earlier, it's a place where you can really make a difference in the world. I encourage entrepreneurs that have that combination of, of courage and humility to, to go out and, and, uh, and really make a difference and uh, you know, create value for the world as a result. Who are the three people that you most highly think of in this industry? Well, I, I hesitate to single out any individuals. You know, I've, I've uh, spent uh, almost 40 years now in the, in the aviation industry, 35 plus. And uh, yeah, I have such great admiration for my colleagues across this industry and you know, all the way from big established aerospace to, uh, to the new startups, to the customers we serve. I had the privilege of serving both commercial customers and our, our defense and military customers. You know, great deal of respect for our servicemen and women who, uh, who we supported while I was at Boeing. So uh, I just have a, a deep admiration for the aerospace community broadly. And I feel like it's been a you know, privilege to have a, a lifetime of aviation experience to get to work with some of the most extraordinary talent in the world. You know, people that every day bring those values to the workplace that you know, care about safety and quality. They operate with integrity and excellence. It, it's one of the reasons I get hooked on working at Boeing as a, you know, a young intern out of college, uh, you know, starting out as an engineer at Boeing more than 35 years ago. It was, it was the people. It was the people that really attracted me to this industry and the bold vision uh, that they had and, and the dreams uh, around this industry. There's no industry that dreams as big as aerospace. And, uh, you know, that's what attracted me to the industry 35 plus years ago. It's what's uh, kept me with it. And, uh, you know, the people that operate in this industry today just have my greatest admiration and respect as a result. This was a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much, Dennis, for your time. Yeah, well, hey, thanks, guys. All right, that's a wrap for today. Thank you for listening to the Vertical Space Podcast. Reach out if there are topics that you would like us to discuss. And goodbye until the next episode. Unless mentioned, this podcast is in no way endorsing or promoting any person and or company mentioned, and all opinions within the podcast are solely that of the presenters. The Vertical Space makes no guarantees, warranty, or representation of any information given in this podcast. Any information given is for informational purposes and should be used at your own risk. This podcast is for general, educational, and entertainment purposes only.